You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. Your host is Dr. Jack Lewin, Chief Executive Officer of the American College of Cardiology. How can new methods of identifying quality in cardiovascular practice help improve the standardization of processes and care that patients receive? Our guest is Mr. Francois Dubrant, Executive Director of the Healthcare Incentives Improvement Institute in Newton, Connecticut, which is the organization that manages Bridges to Excellence and the Prometheus Payment Model. Welcome, Francois. Well, thank you, Jack. This is a very timely topic given where we are in healthcare reform today. So before we discuss how we identify quality in any practice or cardiovascular practice specifically, how do we define quality? Well, that's a good question. Of course, it is a longstanding debate about how quality is defined. I think for many people and for most of us in the quality of care improvement world, ultimately quality is in the eyes of the patient. And measurement of quality always ought to be centered around the patient's experience, both in terms of their interface and interaction with the practice, uh, the clinicians in the practice, and of course, ultimately, the outcomes of the care that they're receiving within that practice. In identifying quality in cardiovascular practice, let's say, does this somehow coincide with the increase in value-based healthcare delivery or you know, value being quality and cost? Is it something we have to measure to get to or how do we get there? I think so, Jack. And this is a movement that's at least 10 years old, if not a little more, but really the fundamental premise of having an objective way for outsiders, whether it's the patient, whether it's the employer, whether it's the health plan, whether it's peers in medicine, but an objective way of determining the quality of care that is being delivered to patients who go to that practice, as well as ultimately the cost of those services, does bring us to a value equation. We need to be sensitive to that value equation. And clearly, at equal quality, if I can purchase a service for a buck fifty in one place and a buck in another, then why should I pay the buck fifty when I can get it for a buck? This is an equation that in healthcare to date has not been implemented in a widespread fashion, but certainly the passage of the Affordable Care Act, I think, does move the country in that direction in a sure and steady way. And now it's incumbent upon the professions, including cardiologists and the ACC, to really put together the framework within which value is going to be determined for cardiology practices. Quality is one aspect. Cost is another aspect. And we need to be really thoughtful about both elements and how we bring those together. Yeah, in a global economy, we clearly can't move ahead spending twice as much as other competitor nations. That's right. And, you know, when the population-based health outcome statistics aren't better here than many of our other developed nations around the world. So thinking about data then, in which disease areas that we have data, how do we use data to identify quality in cardiovascular practice? What's going on there and how should we organize data? As you know, the cardiology profession has been by far the most diligent and progressive in collecting data, looking at data, 
and really using it for quality improvement. And this is something, as you know, that's been going on for a couple of decades at least. And I think cardiology as a field and cardiologists and the ACC in particular can continue to be absolute leaders in this domain and show the rest of medicine how the profession itself can take it upon itself to define the areas of quality measurement and how to bring those forward in a way that's going to be acceptable to the profession, acceptable to patients and employers and payers. So when you think about the diseases that affect the majority of patients who go into cardiology practices, certainly heart failure, hypertension, coronary artery disease, this is the bread and butter. And it also represents the disease areas where, uh, whether it's Medicare, to a large extent Medicaid, and certainly private insurance spend a tremendous amount of money. So understanding what that value equation is and starting with being able to robustly assess quality of care along those disease domains is a necessary step forward for most cardiology practices. Oh, yeah. And we're going to have to add atrial fibrillation to that list as well. But, well, how about, you know, the evaluation of the data? I mean, you could say that the ACC, what we've done, we go to painstaking lengths to make sure that somebody else is looking over our shoulders. We hire academic centers to pull charts and look at the data and so forth. But how does a group like Bridges to Excellence, I mean, sort of evaluate whether the data is valid and real and it's, you know, worth using or whether it's biased? Yeah, I think this is the sentinel question for everyone in medicine, because I'm a firm believer that ultimately the data has to come from the practices in order to accomplish two fundamental objectives. One, if it doesn't come from the practice, it will not have the credibility to drive internal quality improvement. Second, if it doesn't come from the practice, it's not going to have the statistical validity that is needed to really be able to differentiate performance from one practice to another. Most payers, including Medicare, simply do not have the numbers of patients within a practice to appropriately statistically derive what that performance is going to be. So as a result of which, there is a central dilemma. If the data comes from the practice, then you need an external validation of the, both the data extraction as well as what happens to it once it's extracted, how it's right. scored, how the performance mm-hmm. is assessed. And this is something that we've been doing for seven years, not just within cardiology, but in other areas of medicine. And the partnership that we've established with the ACC in this area is, is quite exemplary. Yeah, well, that's great. If you're just joining us, by the way, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Jack Lewin. Our guest is Mr. Francois Dubrant, Executive Director of the Healthcare Incentives Improvement Institute in Newton, Connecticut, which is the organization that manages Bridges to Excellence and the Prometheus Payment Model. Francois, when we take this data to facilitate quality improvement, I mean, there's got to be a process there, you know, that what do we do? Do we Public reporting is one way, incentives and payment are another way. Where, where are you going with the Healthcare Incentives Improvement Institute and Bridges in terms of how do we turn this data into real quality improvement? I mean, our belief, again, stemming back to our original days, is that these data turned into actionable information at multiple levels. One is quality improvement. So you extract the data, you process it through a certain number of filters, you assemble numerators and denominators for performance measures, And that becomes the initial feedback mechanism to the practice for quality improvement purposes. Those numerators and denominators ultimately get scored. An overall score gets assessed to the practice. We do that. We look at, validate, verify, audit the data. 
if the practice reaches a certain score, then at that point, it becomes recognized. Uh, so what happens to recognized practices? Two things. One, public recognition, absolutely essential. Being able to show your patients, being able to show your peers, being able to show the plans that you contract with that you have met the mark. The second are financial incentives. We need to move from a basic fee-for-service to payment around performance. And there are various flavors of that. And whether it's a bonus structure, whether it's modified fee schedules, whatever the terms of the contract are, the issue really becomes moving away from straight fee-for-service. So the recognition of the practice can become a basis for triggering a whole series of financial incentives. And part of our role is both to evaluate and assess the performance of the practice and determine whether or not it becomes recognized, but then, as importantly, to work with payers nationally and locally to make sure that they use that recognition to trigger appropriate financial incentives. I mean, who are we going to help with these programs in the future? Is it the purchaser side? Is it the patient? Do practitioners? I mean, the incentives may be there, but most of the docs in our system who use these, you know, use registries now, for example, don't get any incentives. They're just doing it because they believe in it. How do we get from where we're talking about this to getting it done? Well, I think it's going to take two to tango. The macro environment has changed. There's no doubt about it. The passage of the ACA and with all that it is included in it in terms of payment reform, the signaling to the delivery system around accountable care organizations, around bundle payments, around episodes, all of this is, I think, a very strong collective signal that says we're moving away from the traditional forms of payment. The incentives are going to have to change. Now, the irony, of course, is that as the federal government uh, starts moving in that direction, the concern that we have, and I think it's a shared concern, is that the private sector payers might become the laggards, whereas in the past decade, it's been the opposite. When I say it takes two to tango, Jack, part of this is, you know, the responsibility of the practices. And I understand that negotiations between payers and purchasers are dicey, they're often contentious, and they depend a lot on relative market power. But at the end of the day, if you're on the receiving end as a practice of multiple different types of incentives, there is a way to exert some amount of discipline. These plans with whom practice in, you know, my neighborhood is going to contract with are the same plans with whom other practices in other parts of the country are, are going to contract with. Anthem WellPoint, United Healthcare, Aetna, Cigna, these are all national plans. And the extent to which the ACC on its side can help in the standardization of some of the contracting, not the terms of the contract, the financial terms, but some of the conditions around contracting, making recognition a core component of it, making participation in registries a core component of it, so that you can approach these, these national plans with a form of contracting that says, look, from now on, these elements that are intrinsic to good quality of a practice should be part of a different deal. And here's some suggestions on what those different deals are. And I think the health plans on their end who are looking for ways to standardize contracts might be very receptive to that. So it really is about the profession itself saying, look, we believe these and it's more than our belief. We've got data to prove it. You know, we've got independent organizations that have reviewed the quality of these practices. It is essential in order to drive the continuous and virtuous cycle of continuous quality improvement for you health plans to now play ball with us on this. So what do you see five years out, Francois? What's the future that you believe we might have with or without the uh, ACA that might get us closer to this kind of value-based agenda? I'm an optimist. If I wasn't an optimist, I uh, probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. My view five years out is essentially one that's built on these value-based purchasing concepts, transparency, 
And I mean transparency like you mean it, Jack, which is full transparency in methods and in results. No black boxes. Transparency. Who's doing what? How are they doing it? How are they achieving it? And who is differentiating themselves from the pack? Two, incentives. Incentives driven the right way, not around volume, but around margin, and margin for the practice who does well, margin for the payer and the purchaser who finally can see lowering trends in their total cost of care because quality improvement is being tied to greater affordability. And that ultimately means being able to compare performance between practices, being able to compare performance between practices associated with some hospitals versus associated with others. It really truly fundamentally is about transparency. And it's something that this industry has been absolutely abysmal at. The opacity, and it's the opacity at all levels, the plans are guilty of this, the providers are guilty of this, everyone's guilty of this, and we all know that you cannot have a functional market without transparency. It is impossible. And there's about 250 years worth of economic history and literature that teaches this. And yet, somehow, we believe that opacity in healthcare is going to solve the problems. We need to start there. And once you have that, once the light is shown, then we can have very different discussions about incentives and value-based purchasing. Right. Well, you know, it's very exciting stuff. And I know we're heading there and uh, we're preparing cardiologists to participate in value-based improvement. And, uh, and we think the incentives will follow. But in the last minute, what about patients? What are the incentives for them? And what do you folks in Bridges and Prometheus uh, and in the, the Institute, what do you think we need for inpatient incentives? Look, patient incentives have to be at two levels. And there is a fair amount of work that's being done in the concept, the parallel concept of value-based purchasing is value-based insurance design. And it focuses really on two elements. Number one is compliance. We have to stop fooling around and fooling ourselves that increasing copays is a good thing to do. It might save a couple of nickels in the short term. I think the data are incredibly compelling that it leads to lack of compliance on the part of patients and costs hundreds of thousands down the road. So what do we do? What we do is we encourage them to do the right thing. So you don't put financial barriers around the types of services that you want patients to access. Well, how about eliminating copays for people that do the right things? Absolutely. We're going to monitor and hold the cardiology practices accountable for managing lipid levels for patients. Well, you'd better have a value-based insurance design that doesn't put limits and barriers around patients taking statins. Otherwise, how in the world are you ever going to be able to get to collaborative view? And it's the same deal tied to transparency. I'm a firm believer that if a practice is delivering tremendous value, then they ought to be rewarded by more patients. And that means, to an extent, giving an incentive for a patient to migrate to the higher value practice. Go. Yeah. Well, that's great stuff. And, you know, I mean, we've just solved pretty much the, uh, the healthcare system problems <laughs> in 15 minutes, Francois. We have been talking with Mr. Francois Debrun about identifying quality in cardiovascular practice. Francois, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Heart Matters is produced in cooperation with the American College of Cardiology. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.